don't you just love partisan politics? Don't you just love the way they carry on out there? Years ago, there was a fellow named Tom Lear who was a Harvard math professor who was also Jewish. He wrote a song called National Brotherhood Week, and I'm going to adapt a little bit of it. The red folks hate the blue folks. The blue folks hate the red folks. And my folks hate your folks. And everybody hates Jews. Oh, it is National Brotherhood Week. I have a book at home that it, I bought it because it was featured on one of the NPR programs. It's called by two fellas, Ornstein and Mann. They're a couple of fellas from a think tank in D.C. And the title is, It's Even Worse Than It Looks. And it's about the, the change in politics and political parties in this country and how horrible it has become. Oh, and you know, whoever is in the Oval Office, regardless of their political color, guaranteed half the nation's going to hate them and say all kinds of bad, ugly things about them and blame them for everything imaginable, including their bunions and their mother-in-law. And it's not just the Oval Office anymore. It is Congress now. They're getting it terrible. Monday evening, I was at a, uh, at a uh, Veterans Day meet, uh, celebration of our military. The fellow sitting next to me leans over and he says, I think we need to limit everybody in D.C. to two terms. One in office and the other in jail. Well, yes, we have our issues with our elected leaders. By the way, they're not divine right, are they? They're elected. Remember that. There's another one coming coming up, but oh my. If we think we have problems, as Paul Harvey would have said, over my shoulder, a backward glance. Have you read the stories of some of the kings that God had over his people? Wow. Saul, for instance, oh, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He looked every bit the king that they wanted. <laughs> He'll lead us into battle and bring us home victorious. Why did they think they were going to come home victorious? I mean, he put his shirts on one sleeve at a time like everybody else. Where does victory for God's people come from? It comes from God, and it comes for us when we are obedient to what he says, and that's something Saul just wasn't. Now, religion is not supposed to figure in American politics, is it? We call that separation of church and state. For good reasons, every time a church has ever gotten a hold of a government, what's it turned into? A tyranny, right? So, anyhow, Samuel, who anointed Saul king, told him, if you need, you wait seven days, I will come and offer the sacrifice, and God will then go to battle with you and give you victory. 
Well, it didn't look very good at one point. Saul is waiting for Samuel to show up. And as the week goes by, he's running around wringing his hands. Oh, where is that prophet Samuel? This is terrible. Doesn't he know we need him? What was going on? Well, in the book Patriarchs and Prophets, which is now an instrumental book in leading rabbi after rabbi to the Christian faith, believe it or not, um, one of the best known in America is now a believer in Jesus because of that book. They have wonderful things to say about it. Well, anyhow, he, uh, he's dressed in armor. That book says that God detained Samuel so he couldn't go as quickly as he wanted because he was giving that young king of his an opportunity to show the stuff he was made of. Would he keep the command of the Lord? You know, if you're going to be a captain over God's people, you need to do that. Because have you ever gotten one of these things at Christmas time that says some assembly required? That's part of the modern messages of Christmas. Another one is batteries not included. But anyhow, some assembly. So you, you don't read the instructions. You just put it together and you don't do it right. Does it work? Maybe not very good. And that's the way it is. When we try to do things our ways instead of his, they just don't work that well. Have you noticed that? So finally, Saul says, bring me the sacrifice. He was not to combine church and state that way, plus to offer a sacrifice dressed in full military armor. Anyhow, they brought the animal, and he offered it, and the smoke is still going up, and here came Samuel. And he marches up. (laughs) I can picture the king saying, well, where have you been? Samuel says, what have you done? Well. You didn't come. I can't go to battle unless I've sought the Lord. And I forced my... Did he force himself? That was an expression of self. All right. Yes. And Samuel said, You have done very foolishly, Your Majesty. Very foolish. God would have established your, your, your throne forever. But now he can't do that because you have not kept his command. And he turned and walked away. You know, I'll just—I'm going to skip that point. <laughs> just keep going. All right. Samuel comes to Saul again with instructions straight from from the Lord. He's saying, "God is now remembering Amalek and all they did to our nation when they came out of Egypt." And their cup of iniquity is full and then some. Go and utterly wipe out the nation, Amalekites. Saul says, all right, we'll do it. Now, this was not a war of conquest. If it was, what would they have done after they got the victory? They'd have collected all the spoils and brought them all home. This was a divine judgment on wickedness. No spoils. So here comes Saul, 
and the army, and here's Samuel waiting, and the Lord has been talking to him. He says, I'm really regretting the fact that I made him captain. Oh, he flew on the spoil. Well, Samuel, nasty job, but it's done. Did what the Lord said. Amalek's history. He said, oh, what all these animals I'm listening to. And who is this? He was pointing at Agag, the king, who was standing there stark naked. That's the way they brought kings home. It added to their disgrace. Well, 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 we wanted to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And if you would find 1 Samuel 15, there's a question here that Samuel asked that is really pointed. 1 Samuel 15, I'll give you a minute to find it. I'm glad you're here. If you're a guest with us today, you're just a guest today. Next time, you're part of the family. Anyhow, thank you for coming. And if you're joining us on the Internet, we welcome you especially. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. A good pointed question which we should ask ourselves today. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in what? Obeying the voice of of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Now, in this chapter, there's a long litany of woe where every push Samuel gives the king, the king backs up with self-justification. Oh, but I did what the Lord said. No, you didn't. He could not acknowledge he had, he had sinned. And finally, Samuel said, the Lord has taken the kingdom from you and given it to a neighbor of yours better than you. And he turned to go and saw just angrily. He had, by the way, you know what determines your success in life? It's not your IQ. It's your EQ. You know what that is? Emotional quotient. How well do you control your feelings? Saul didn't have any of that at all. He angrily grabbed at Samuel and tore his robe. And Samuel looked at him and says, the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to a neighbor of yours better than you. Now, back to what he was saying here. Verse 23, rebellion is as what? Like the sin of witchcraft. Witchcraft. Yeah. Witchcraft has many different expressions still today. Everybody remembers the Reagans with a great deal of fondness, right? Did you know they did nothing without consulting with an astrologer? Her last name was Quigley. That's witchcraft, folks, because astrology is not prophesying anything. It's telling you what the devil is planning to do to you. One, one, one young woman came to uh, some evangelistic meetings I was part of, and uh, we got to talking about it, and we prayed. And the evangelist said to her, you know, if you reject this whole thing, it'll no longer work for you. She said, you think so? I don't. He should try it and see. She did. Came in a week later, he said, well, she said, you're right, it quit working. (laughs) Witchcraft, what was Samuel telling Saul anyway? 
If you reject the word of the Lord, what is your destiny? Where are you headed? When I was in school, we had a, a song called, Oh, Sinner Man. The, the Wedgwood Trio did it. Oh, sinner man, oh, where are you going to run to? And one of, the, one of the verses was, run to the devil. The devil is awaiting. That's exactly where you're going. Rebellion or rejecting the word of God is as what? The sin of witchcraft. He was warning him strongly, Saul, you're headed in a terrible direction. And then he says this, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you from being king. Let me ask you something. What had God rejected? But does it say God had rejected Saul? No. I don't care who you are and I don't care what you have done. It matters not. God will never reject you. He loves you and always will. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more or love you less. That's just the way it is. He loves you. He's there for you always. The problem is when we don't do it his way, we're heading for trouble and he'd do everything he could to spare us because he knows Satan better than we know him. And he knows what he'll do to us if we don't follow his path. Oh, terrible. Anyhow, so, years later, the Philistines are back, poised for a disaster in Israel. It looks horrible. And you wonder, where's God? Why did he allow it to happen? Simple. To put Saul in a position where maybe he would at last get on his knees and look up and say, God, I'm going <laughs> to, like the fellow shot down in the war, he's bobbing around on a life raft. His food is gone. His water is just about gone. And he thinks, I'm in trouble. So he gets on his knees clumsily because he's not used to it. And he falls his hand and closes his eyes in the broiling sun of the South Pacific. He says, oh, God, I'm in a real jam here, as you can see. I tell you what, you get me out of this. And, you know, it's been 20 years since I bothered you. Will you get me out of this? It'll be another 20 before I bother you again. No. No, no, no. Anyhow, that's what God hoped that Saul would come to him, turn to him and say, Father, I've blown it. Help. And he would have gladly helped him. But instead, what did he do? He went to a witch, just like Samuel warned him so many, so many months earlier. He went to a witch. First Chronicles 10, 13 says that Saul died for two reasons. Number one, because he did not keep the command of the Lord. And number two, because he went and sought counsel of a spirit medium. Don't do that. People still do it, but don't you do that, all right? David, king number two, handsome, talented, Everybody loved him. Oh. But how many wives did he have? They weren't enough. He wanted one more. Lust is never satisfied, folks. By the way, we've had incidents where people have talked 
of presidents and their immoral behavior. One of the worst was Kennedy. Well, they never talked about it then. A different press than what we have these days. Anyhow, after committing adultery, what did he do to cover it up? He committed murder. And about a year went by, the book Patriarchs and Prophets again says that Nathan the prophet came to him. Nathan is a name that means the way or the road. Nathan was coming to him to show him the way out of wickedness. And he took it. He fell on his face before the Lord. He said, I have sinned before God. I am horrible. Oh, he said that. And Nathan said, you're not going to die because the Lord has put your iniquity away. Yet, you're going to have some serious problems, your majesty, because you have given such an opportunity to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme his name. And that's what happens when you and I sin. People blaspheme. I don't know what it is about being a seven-day Adventist. They know out there. They don't want to be one, but they know. And if we act out of harmony with our own faith, what do they say about it? Another one of those Adventists. Anyhow, David fell. We've got to read Psalm 32, all right? I'm breaking in a new Bible this morning. And I'm putting these cards because that way the pages will open when I want them to. But if you ever try to start a new Bible, you just can't get the pages to open. But anyhow, this is one of two Psalms that David wrote as a result of what he had done, those horrible sins he committed. Psalm 32, the first five verses, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. By the way, When God gets done, your sin isn't just covered up, still there. Where is your sin? It is no more. It's on the bottom of the ocean. And don't get your deep sea stuff out and go looking for it, okay? Leave it there. Blessed, verse 2, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit, this version says. For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Was it easy what he had done for him? No. You know, guilt is a perfect gift. It keeps right on giving, doesn't it? Anyhow, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then the word selah, I think, the best guess that means is just think of that. So you read this. Think about that. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you, what? Forgave the iniquity of my sin. This is something you can learn from a king I hope you never forget. I don't care what it is. You confess it. And what will the Lord do? He'll forgive you. Isn't that wonderful? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you confess it. He forgives you. That's just the way it is. All right. Another one is Psalm 51. 
get over here. I'm gonna... We're going to pick up with verse, verse 9 and read through verse 13. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Isn't that something? That's one thing you can take home. You confess it. It's forgiven. It is. It is. Solomon, too smart for his own good, smart in the extreme, excessively wealthy, and his father's weakness with women was exacerbated in his own life. How many did he end up with? Almost a thousand. Whoa. Did he know all their names? I don't think so. Wow. And first, the women, then their heathen temples, then sacrificing his own children to heathen idols, and then tyranny. He ended up doing the same thing trying to that his father had done. He tried to murder one of his own loyal soldiers, Jeroboam. Jeroboam had to flee to Egypt to save his life. When he finally turned back to God, oh, he started out well, but God said, don't marry unbelievers because they will take your heart and turn it away from me. And that's exactly what happened to him. Anyhow, at the end of it all, Solomon looked back at his life, and right at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, here's what he said. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is what? The whole duty of man. That's all God wants. Another prophet put, put it this way, and you can sing it with me. He has shown the old man what is... Let's start again. He has shown the old man what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to... Do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. That's all God is looking for. That's all. Anyhow, and it's like, as Moses said, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. In other words, I want you to be just like me. Isn't that neat? God wants us to be like him. Oh, God, you're wonderful. He is so cool. Then Rehoboam, rich kid with a gold spoon in his mouth at his birth, arrogant, conceited. He thought he knew more than his own father did. And they're ready to crown him. And the man with a crown in his hand says, Your Highness, before I place this on your head, 
we all want to know something. What kind of a king do you propose to be? Are you going to be a tyrant like your father? Or are you going to be wise and understanding? Tell you what, give me three days and I'll think of an answer for that. Very good. Three days, we'll be here again. Court is adjourned. So during those three days, what did, what did Rehoboam do? First, he went to his father's wise counselors. Remember that? You heard. What do I say? Your majesty, with due regards to your father, you need to let up taxes. You need to let up on conscripted labor. And you need to start listening to the people. And they'll follow you forever. Okay, where did he go next? His buddies. Guys, what do I say? They snarls and crack the whip. Show them who's boss. See my little fingers thicker than my father's thigh. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> well, they had nothing to lose, but Rehoboam did. Three days later, Your Majesty, before I put this on your head, Your Highness, Prince, what is your answer? And he snarled, and in one statement, lost 10 of the 12 tribes. And as he grabs his army to go get him, he runs smack dab into the stiff arm of Shemaiah the prophet. And where do you think you're going? Well, I'm going to... You're going to do none of the sight. They're your relatives. You go back home. This is from the Lord. Judgment on your father's sins. All right. And to his credit, he went back home. <laughs> Incredible. Well, it says, and this is First Chronicles 12, where we pick up this, or Second Chronicles 12, where we start picking this story up. In Chronicles there, it says he, chapter, chapter 12 and verse 1 of Second Chronicles, this is when the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he did what? It says he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. The next thing they know, here came Shishak, Pharaoh of Egypt, and verse 2, it says he had, or verse 3, 1,200 chariots and 60,000 cavalry and infantry you couldn't count. Now, if you were Rehoboam looking at that, what would you think? Um, what are we going to do? <laughs> to his credit, well, just about this point, they're knocking at the door. Shemaiah comes up with a message. Thus says the Lord. Verse 5, you abandoned me, so I've abandoned you to the hand of Shishak. And verse 6 is incredible. Have you ever been chastened for doing something wrong or being wrong? That's hard to do, hard to handle. What do you mean I'm wrong? I'm not wrong. Yeah, if you're wrong, it's hard to do it. They did. They humbled themselves before the Lord, and they said, the Lord is righteous. Wow. Well, God sent another message to Shemaiah. He said, look, 
I see how they've humbled themselves. I'm not going to have them destroyed utterly, but you know what I am going to do? They are going to serve Shishak so they know the difference between serving me and serving the nations. You remember the story from the Gospels? There's a cemetery along the Sea of Galilee, and there's, depending on the Gospels, either one or two men living there, they're demonically possessed and controlled totally by the devil. What I, they were the terrorists of the area. And here came Jesus, and they come screaming. Now, what had Satan done with them when he was controlling them and they were serving him? They couldn't go home. They had to live in the tombstones with nothing on, and their bodies cut by sharp. They couldn't help themselves. They'd given all that control away to the devil. And here came Jesus. And they went screaming down the demons, get him, get him. And they said, they knew there were going to be history. And they said, don't torment us before the town. Send us into those pigs, those pigs. Jesus said, go. And a moment later, these two fellows, or one, are sitting there clothed, cleaned up, in their right minds for the first time in who knows how long. And here came the owners of the pigs, scared to death they'll lose everything else. They said, will you please, to Jesus, will you please leave, go. We don't want you here. Well, guess who wanted to go with Jesus? The fellows who had just been freed from the devil. Jesus said, no, you, and he said a word that must have been music to their ears. Go home and tell everyone what wonderful things the master's done for you. Oh, he's had grace in you. Now, You tell me, folks, who would you rather serve, the devil or the Lord? Good example. Well, the Lord wanted these people to get a taste of of the others, so he said, well, anything of value went home with Shishak to Egypt, but Rehoboam and the others began to become grow and become strong, but... He missed something. Did you notice verse 14, 2 Radicals 12, verse 14? It says, he did evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. What do you get from that? There's, there's a gospel song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. We need to do that or we will wander, folks. It's that determination, God, I'm going to stick with you no matter what. Will you make that decision? Now, there's a lot more here. But since it's time to stop, maybe I should stop (laughs) at this point. Um. Abijah was the next very quickly here. He'd hardly gotten on the throne and he ended up in a war with Jeroboam. Now he had 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam had 800,000. And he stood up, this is in chapter 13, and he's reading the riot act to Jeroboam and his forces. And while he's talking, Jeroboam isn't even listening. He's got a, a bunch going around behind setting an ambush 
behind them. And all of a sudden, they discover too late. There is an ambush there. And so what do they do in verses 14 and onwards? It says, they cried to the Lord, and the priests blew the trumpets. And the men of Judah raised the battle shout. They weren't wringing their hands like Saul was waiting for Samuel. What are we going to do? Where is that problem? They were shouting the triumph of the Lord. And it says, when they shouted, God defeated Jeroboam. And you know what? He ended up slaying half a million soldiers from Israel. And it says, that humbled Jeroboam, and he never did regain his lost strength. And then the Lord put him to death. Anyhow, there's more coming, and I think what we'll do is pick this up next time. But there is a little song that you heard. It was a popular song. They were buying records of this, copies by Anne Murray. Put your hand in the hand of the man who stilled the waters. Put your hand in the hand of the man who calmed the sea. That's what we need to do. We are, as much as these kings ever were, in a battle with the enemy. And his name is what? Satan. He'll destroy you in an instant if he can do it. Don't try to go it alone. And when it looks the worst, that's the best, because when God comes through, what is he going to look like? You're going to say, wow, God, that was something he'll smile. I know, but you haven't seen anything yet. God is a forgiving God. God is a wise, loving God, that when we need it, he'll use tough love on us like he did these kings. God is a supporting God. He'll be there to help you when you need it. But he's also a God who knows the best and right way. Don't ignore what he says and go off to your own thing. You will be in trouble. <laughs> Look to God and put your hand in his. And put your heart with him. Father, I'm going to stick with you no matter what. And he'll smile and says, let's go, child. We've got work to do. Number 560. I think of all the things we can thank the Lord for, he himself is the thing we should thank him for the most. God is wonderful. Glory be to him who can keep you from falling and bring you safe to his glorious presence, innocent and happy. To God, the only God, who saves us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Be the glory, majesty, authority, and power which he had before time began now and forever. Amen.